Welcome to the Enneagram and Christianity Podcast with your hosts, lead pastors Claire and Scott Lorridge from Crossroads Church and Ministries in Marshall, Michigan. In this Advent 2020 season, we're asking the question, how will you unwrap the gift of Christ in you this Advent season? We hope that you'll join us December 1st through December 25th as this podcast will create space for you to unwrap the gifts of Christ's presence for every Enneagram personality style. So dive in, let's take a listen, and let's unwrap the gift of Christ. Here's Claire and Scott. Welcome, Jeremy Light. Thank you, Claire. It's good to be back in your presence. Uh, And as I just said before we started, I should have taken you to the dark horse because We've had a, a few meetings at the Dark Horse in, in the days you lived in Michigan. We have. I heard it's there's been a couple of changes over there, but I don't know if it's warm enough for the beer garden right now. Oh, no, it is. They've had people outside, bunch of heaters. They're, they are making their way. Oh, I, I guess I forgot. I forgot what it's like to be a Michigander. You can uh-huh. handle those things. Right. You put your mucklucks on, get your, you know, your hoodie and... Everybody will be just fine, (laughs) which is why you moved to New Mexico, I'm sure. I moved to New Mexico. uh, I think you know this very well because Emily, my my wonderful wife, gave me no option but to move to New Mexico. Right. But, you know, for folks who don't know you, Jeremy, you moved to New Mexico and you ended up in a job that really, I, I think, you know, takes the best of you. And brings that to the world. And of course, um, you did uh, good work around addiction counseling and um, multimedia work for the addictive counseling center that you worked for. But now down in New Mexico, tell everybody what you did. And as you call it, and the side effects of, uh, of doing what you do. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a complete accident. Uh, I, I had worked in in the addiction world for almost a decade before moving to New Mexico. And I moved to New Mexico with every intention of having nothing to do with it ever again. Um, that didn't work out uh, as planned. Um, I, I kind of moved down here and I got involved with a very small treatment center uh, in beautiful Santa Fe uh, that was just outpatient counseling for addiction. Um, and they're still around and they've expanded. They do great work. Uh, but I quickly learned that things were very different in New Mexico. This is a very rural state. This is uh, such an, an incredibly multicultural state. Uh, you have, oh, I, I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. You have 20 plus different pueblos. Uh, it's, you have all of these tiny rural communities. You only have maybe three what you would consider cities and you have all of these people just living in the desert. Uh, It's, it's really cool. Um, And there's so many different cultures. But what I realized moving down here was we did not have resources for behavioral health. We had very limited resources in 2012. They mostly got kind of wiped out just for political stuff happened. Um, The little resources that we had left nobody was really talking to each other. So I ended up working for a couple different facilities, 
now I officially work, only work for one. I do some contracting work with other facilities, but the consequences or side effects of my leaping into this understanding that there was this problem of no real connection between treatment centers, the side effect of me jumping in and wanting to fix that um, essentially means at this point that I work for all of the treatment centers instead of the one that pays me. Um, and I haven't figured out how to rectify the whole, you know, pay situation, but I'll, I'll take what I can get and it. It does work out uh, <laughs> for my treatment center that I get to promote, which is Vista House Renewal Center, which is where we aren't. So it's not strictly a faith-based program. Um, it does, it is not a, uh, you know, a Christ approach to it. The owners are devout Christians and I love them. They're amazing human beings. It's small family owned, which is what I believe in when treating anything. Um, because once you get into the big corporations and I can go on rants about that, uh, for hours, you lose any sincerity, uh, when it comes to treating the person and the soul. Um, but this program started up, um, 27 years ago with just the owner saying, I want to bring 18 people to Christ at a time, um, without them knowing it. And I like that. Um, I like <laughs> the programs that say, we want to, we want to save people. We want to bring people to Christ, but we're not going to tell them we're doing it. We're just going to get them clean. We're going to get them into the right headspace. We're going to get them feeling good again, feeling worthy again. Um, and at some point, hopefully after they leave us, they can find that relationship. Um, so. Wow. Wow. Well, and you know what I love about that? Rachel Held Evans used to call that sneaky Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and if Christ is who we believe Christ is, then Christ can take care of all that, you know, without us forcing. Um, in fact, if we can just be the hands and feet of Jesus and help people get clean, help them recover their lives, then God can be God on God's own terms and show up in ways that people uh, discover God that that are true rather than proselytizing and you know putting someone in a position where it's like if you come to Christ you know if you want to get clean you know you're going to have to go to these six Bible studies once you're done and all of that but what I love that you've done Jeremy and you call it the side effects which is a great which is great language for uh, for a five who is very uh, clinical, methodical, and, uh, and, and really thinks through these realities. So as an Enneagram 5, who has devoted yourself to this, uh, this uh, one space, but then turns into, so for instance, Friday, you led um, a conference for how many clinicians? We, we had about uh, 450 register. The ones that uh, actually showed up and attended for our, this was a five hour event. We had about 250 uh, clinicians from all over the country. Right. During COVID on Zoom. During COVID on, on well, technically go to webinar, but yeah, like okay. the Zoom knockoff. Yeah. The Zoom knockoff. Right. And you know, what I love, uh, Jeremy, is not only um, are you willing to do both the good work that you get paid for and then the avocation 
that you believe in so strongly, um, that comes from a really deep place in you as someone who was formerly chemically dependent. Or as I said to you, one of the you know, terms I love is a survivor of chemical dependency. And uh, how many years have you been clean, Jeremy? So let's, let's put this together. Uh, I think 2011 uh, was the last time I, I used a uh, narcotic. Um, yeah, I, I think 2011. It's 2020, so nine years. Okay. What's great is I've, I started in this industry very early on into the whole recovery thing. Um, and I think even my first year, I, I would be talking to people on the phone that were inquiring about getting help, or I, was, I would be talking on the phone with a mother that was looking to help their son, and they were looking for my wisdom. And I didn't want to tell them, like, hey, it hasn't really been that long. So this is the first year I've ever not been lying to people when I say mm-hmm. I've been clean for nine years. Um, so I'm, I'm not lying anymore. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. And, um, you know, Jeremy, of course, you studied the Enneagram with us when you were here uh, living in Michigan. And, um, and I'll never forget when you moved to New Mexico and you're like, I'm taking your book to Father Roar because he lives right around the corner and you're, you were going to Centering Prayer uh, with Father Roar in the morning. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say about, um, about Father Roar and the connection there is that uh, one of the things I love that he says is everyone is addicted. And what we're addicted to is ourselves. And if you're watching this um, on the blog, you'll get to see this screen. If you're not, I'm so sorry, you'll, you'll have to go visit the blog, scottandclairelorge.org. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, we know you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have vision there, but we have up the, the slide that talks about uh, the nine Enneagram styles. And while each style also has three subtypes, which breaks us into like 27 uh, very unique personality styles, and then given your nature, your nurture, and your free will, you also have a lot of other stuff going on. But to boil it down very, uh, very simply, and we think to essence, those nine styles ranging in the powerful person, the peaceful person, the good person, the loving person, the effective person, the creative person, the wise person, the loyal person, the joyful person. Um, those are all ways to name essence, right? So while you may have many of those virtues, there's one of them that you take to an art form. And then if you've gotten addicted to it, you would then take that goodness to its own too much, as Father Roar would say, and it becomes an addiction. So, you know, those that are, you know, the good people, they become addicted to that goodness and it becomes anger and the loving people get addicted to loving and it becomes pride and the effective people get addicted to being effective and it becomes deceit toward the self and the creative people get addicted to that and it moves into envy 
and the wise people get addicted to that wisdom and that becomes avarice or greed. And then the loyal people become addicted to that loyalty and it they move into a fear space and they get addicted to fear. And then the joyful people taken to its own too much become gluttonous and the powerful people did I start there? Oh yeah. They get addicted to, you know, you know, lust for life and they, um, they get addicted to lust and then the nines want peace at any price and they get addicted to peace. It becomes sloth. And so addiction, we're all addicted. Now, would you say Jeremy in all of the, uh, addicts, survivors of addiction, the formerly dependent on substance people, could you see those nine uh, vices in the folks you work with? I mean, you and, and a whole lot of the people I work with, uh, you see all nine in one person all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as you lean into addiction, um, as, as you, or, or tumble down into addiction, uh, you the first thing that happens is your comfort zone just shrinks um, is your ability to, uh, to handle any problems in life shrinks uh, because you found one really awesome solution. Um, you found the solution that just works better and more efficiently than anything else. Um, so and that's, that can be alcohol um, and it, alcohol fixes things while you're drinking it. You just feel a bit better about everything crumbling around you. Um, and, or heroin, uh, which is what I struggled with when I was very young. Um, you know, whether I was dealing with, you know, the loss of a family member or I just felt that uncomfortable sensation of boredom, that was the solution. Um, so once you're dealing with that and once you're kind of entering into recovery and you no longer have, you know, that one solution, you have to turn to the emotions that you have not dealt with in uh, who knows how long. Um, And, uh, you know, of course, in addiction, you see gluttony. I think that's the most obvious one. Uh, Of course you see it in slothness. You're not working to truly, uh, you know, be a contributing member of society. Uh, you see the anger that just lashes out anytime you can't get what you need. Um, you see an envy in what other people have. Uh, lust is an obvious one. So you see all of those in addiction, but it almost pops out more once you enter into recovery. Um, because now, you know, part of these attributes are coping mechanisms. Um, Entering recovery, there's such an imbalance in your emotions, in your problem solving. Uh, So we are very much, uh, and because we're so used to these emotions, that's where we're at. We're we're outside of our uh, Enneagram points. And what recovery is, is moving into uh, the peace, goodness, love, effectiveness, creativity creativity, wisdom. Um, and th- that's what recovery truly is. It's just figuring out how to get there. And, you know, I really view uh, so much of the outer uh, 
points of the Enneagram as just kind of a reactiveness. Mm -hmm. And if, if people in addiction or people in recovery or anything, it's, it's reactiveness. Um, And it's, it's just trying to bring them back into, into that center. If that makes, did that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely makes sense. And so what we would say is when we're centered where these virtues are, we reflect God. And when we're out on our edge, we play God, right? Like we're trying to get what we want any, you know, in the way that we've coped. So pride may have worked at one time. Deceit may have, you might've thought it worked, right? You may have thought envy worked for you. You may have thought greed was working to get what you want. You may have thought fear was working to protect yourself or gluttoning to satisfy yourself or lust to imbibe, you know, or, or sloth to disappear or anger to, you know, to come out fighting or, you know, all of those things. And yet there is this reality of, um, of who you truly are. Uh, and I think you might remember this from the training, you know, we talk about if you, you know, if you were, um, uh, if you had amnesia, if you uh, lost your ability to remember, would you still be you, you know, and the soul of us is what is most true about us. The reflection of God is what is most true about us. When we start to live in that personality style, that type, and trying to get what we want and getting addicted um, to our own way of being in the world or using substances because we can no longer handle the way we are in the world, um, we lose connection to soul, but you're still there. You know, what's most true is still there. And so in the work of recovery, I love what you're saying, bringing us back to center helping people learn to center themselves and to discover what is most true about them. And, and so that leads us to this word that we're looking at today, Jeremy, that, you know, the word is kind and, you know, you're a five. And so, you know, smart, informed, uh, you know, an observer uh, of life, people see that part of you, but, as a five, your heart space is the two, this loving person. And, you know, I've connected you to people that I really cared about that had those that were addicted. And I saw your, um, your kindness, or even as the scripture says, it is the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance or leads us back home to what is most true about us. And I just wondered, how did God show up for you as kind in the midst of your addiction? How did, how did you find the kindness of God for you, Jeremy? Well, to be fair, so I kindness for you to choose me this week for this subject, because I think that another maybe outer uh, part of the five uh, kind of manifests uh, some grumpiness. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised that I was the <laughs> one on the subject. I, I showed Emily uh, your message, and I said, "How the heck do I talk about this? I've given talks on so many on plenty of things uh, surrounding addiction, but kindness has never been a, a subject that I've spoken on." And she said, "Just wing it, like always." 
you just we just watched the Mr. Rogers movie. Just try to tap into that. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to push back a little bit because your true essence, the kindness of God is seen in you. And I've seen you give it to other people. So I know that God in Christ had to be present to you in some kind of way that allowed me to see that in you. Yeah. And, and you're not wrong. Um, I, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm g- generally grumpy outwards. It's just, I think it's more of just my sense of humor or approach to life. Um, <laughs> but as far as kindness. So uh, when we're talking about my story, um, it's, you know, kindness wasn't really a thing that I was capable of recognizing. Um, you know, when I also do interventions and I've done interventions for many years, um, you know, so when you're doing an intervention, you're doing something extremely kind for that individual. Um, you know, every, but every person that's an addiction faces an intervention at some point in their life, every single one that can be, uh, you know, a formal intervention, you know, kind of what I do, which is I go in with a family and I sit down and we confront the individual and try to convince them to change their ways or at least accept, you know, the option of going into treatment. Um, uh, and then you have people that have a terrible car accident that get a DUI, um, that have a major loss and you have, you know, the ultimate intervention, which is overdose or death. So every person has an intervention of some type. The intervention that I help facilitate uh, with the families that are willing to do it, and very few families are willing to take that step and do an intervention. It's actually an interesting statistic from a talk that I, that I really love. Um, so, and, and this holds true, um, nine out of 10 interventions are successful. Nine out of 10 times when you go into somebody's home uh, and you have that uh, that sit down with the family, the person at some point says, yes, I will accept treatment. Um, probably only one out of 10 families th- that you, that I talk to um, or that most interventionists talk to, one in 10 families say, yes, they'll do the intervention. That's always the hangup because it's that uh, idea of what is kind and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so when you go in and you confront this person uh, and you try to get them to go to treatment, even if they're, they say yes, but they're still kicking and screaming and they're going in begrudgingly, you are doing them a great kindness. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, families, and I'm, you know, I think this is a decent example of how we confuse that kindness is uh, the reason why families hardly ever say, yes, we'll go through with an intervention is because they don't understand that that is a kindness and the client doesn't understand that that is a kindness because you, the way we should react to kindness is with kindness. Uh, That's the obvious thing or is with some sort of joy or happiness uh, that we have been bestowed, uh, that this kindness has been bestowed upon us. Uh, But none of that happens in an intervention. Usually Uh, the family's crying and upset the client is crying and upset. Uh, the family usually never wants to actually go through with the intervention because they're scared that their son or daughter or, or loved one 
is going to be mad at them um, when what we're trying to do is save that individual's life. And if they're going to be mad at you for a bit, you still did them a kindness. You still did them the ultimate kindness of giving, giving them, you know, a shot at renewal um, and a new life. So, you know, back to that as an example for my story, I never viewed any type of intervention or uh, recovery effort or treatment center um, or anybody confronting me on this to be a kindness. Um, I did not view every opportunity that God gave me to become a survivor of chemical dependency, a kindness. Um, After it was years into recovery, into being clean from drugs and alcohol. Yeah, from drugs and alcohol that I finally started to feel that kindness from God. Um, I, you know, my story is I, I grew up in church uh, my whole life. And then I went off and did all this crazy stuff. My wife was raised to be like like a militant atheist. um, And she ended up like not having any of the issues that I did growing up. And my, my wife that was destined to never enter a church in her life walked into crossroads just one morning while I was still asleep and then came back and she's like, and she tells me about it and says, by the way, I read all of the Bible. Um, and this is the thing we're going to start doing now. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, go see Scott and Claire every Sunday. Um, and this was probably th- three years after I, I stopped using drugs. Um, and I should have been, you know, centered. I should have been feeling good. Uh, I should have been, you know, the exemplary person in recovery that just everything's awesome. Now I don't need drugs to feel good, all of this stuff. Um, but I wasn't, uh, because something, and I say this all the time to people that I work with, uh, drugs, alcohol, smoking, whatever, uh, they're, they're a piece of cake to recover from when compared to the recovery from something like shame. Uh, And the, it's not just people in addiction that experience and build up just backpacks and trailers of, of shame. Um, It's, it's any person so kindness did not come to me until I was able to under, truly find the understanding of grace. You know, I, I always think back to being raised in the church and I was raised in this Southern Baptist church where, you know, I, so many of the sermons I just heard over and over and over, you know, people trying to, you know, explain to everybody uh, in the congregation you know, grace is, exists. This is what grace is, uh, you know, or I'm in Bible study. I'm being told like, why in Bible study is this teacher constantly telling me what grace is? I get it. God forgives me. And now looking back. And once I like figured that out as an adult, I was like, why didn't I need this so much as a child? It's because I didn't do anything. Like I was fine. I didn't really need grace that badly. Like I didn't sure. I, hit my kid brother in the face with a tent pole that one time I felt bad about it, but I understand how forgiveness works. 
once you have these trailer trucks full of shame uh, getting into adulthood and after addiction and everything else, it's much harder to really find that true understanding of grace. And once you have that, then you can understand kindness. And that was a major moment for me, for me. And that happened in Crossroads. Yeah. Well, and you know, um, I think one of the things that uh, Scott and I realize from our perspective about grace is that there is a redemptive virtue of uh, back to health for each of the Enneagram styles. So when we get addicted to all of, you know, the, uh, the things that we have named around the circle here, uh, we'll actually post this on the blog today, the redemptive virtues back to health. When we've gotten addicted to lust and sloth and anger and pride and deceit and envy and greed and fear and gluttony um, and lust, when we, when we realize we need the loving kindness of God to lead us back to health, to lead us back to center um, of, you know, the virtues, the reflection truly of God, and that it isn't by hook or by crook. It's not by shame or by guilt or by pounding somebody over the head with scriptures, but it is about this invitation to see yourself as beloved, that you, you know, when you are um, in God's presence, even the ways we have gotten addicted, do not remove the belovedness of God. Do not remove. I remember when I, I came, uh, uh, oh, actually, I think mm, it was like three years before my dad died. And I said to him, uh, you know, he, he told me I was an angel. He said, Claire, you're an angel. I said, oh, dad, you forget everything I did as a kid. And he said, Claire, those were only exercises. Now, my dad, um, you know, was raised by the Ignatians and St. Ignatius Loyola would say that there are exercises that we go through, you know, consolations and desolations that help lead us to understand the love of Christ. And I think um, it is the loving kind of, when my dad said that, oh, Claire, you know, those were only exercises. That was the kindness of my dad reminding me of who I am, you know, reminding me of how, how he was able to see my soul in the midst of all my, my antics as a, um, uh, you know, as a teenager. And I know you were up to stuff, but I can, I could, I might be able to go toe to toe with you on some of our stories. (laughs) I could have used a treatment center myself. Um, and, uh, but I, I do, I love that, that, you know, the idea of intervention is a kindness. And, um, you know, you went, I, I can remember a couple of stories of you going in interventions with people that uh, we cared about at Crossroads and bringing the kindness of Christ. And, um, and, and that even those, those people who were family members of the one they fell in love with you. And in fact, I said to one of them the other day, guess who I just talked to today? And she was like, oh, we have such great memories of, you know, of him. And, and I want to say to all of us, um, during this time, 
when we know that addictions are on the rise, when we know that people are, you know, their coping strategies are, are not working that, and, and maybe even some of them, you know, are starting to realize that these coping strategies are not working or, or getting stuck on these particular things and becoming pharisaical or religious or shamed or guilted or however, you know, or afraid. Uh, we want to say that this might be a time for you um, to ask for help, to seek out help yourself. Uh, it may be a time for you as a loved one of someone who you know is addicted um, that you say it's time to do an intervention if it's substance abuse, uh, the kind of um, uh, alcohol or narcotics uh, or other addictions that are robbing uh, the, you know, um, the person of God's loving kindness. Get help. Get help from people who practice uh, this kind of work as um, the gift that they bring to the world. And so we're going to put uh, Jeremy's um, links below. And one of the things I love about what Jeremy is doing is he's not working in a silo and saying, here's just one way, but he's actually broadened the work that he's done to say, here are the people who've helped and, and, uh, and, um, uh, in different ways. And so they're connecting in those ways. Um, you can always contact us at Crossroads and we will connect you with people that, that we know are a part of the helping team. And I guess one of the things I want to say, um, you know, to those who just thought that they were going to get Enneagram information today, um, do you have some parting words for us? Uh, something you'd like us to remember today, Jeremy? I, so just as, as you were speaking and as we, as we had that up, you know, it, it kind of had me thinking in the times that we live in, which, yeah, as you're absolutely correct in saying that addiction is on the rise. But, you know, we, we can speak, you know, outside of addiction and just say, you know, our abilities to cope are uh, just out the window. Uh, you know, for, for I would imagine everybody to some degree, but some more than others. And when we're looking at being, you know, inside of our inside of our Enneagram number or outside. So for me, it's wisdom or wisdom, greed, as I'm a five, you know. Um, and when you say that, uh, you know, I started, I, I kind of leaned into this collective and to creating this collaboration, um, it's because I am a five. It's because I am, it was both in and out of my, uh, my fiveness. It was... <laughs> me being wise enough to know that um, I need other wise people around me that I cannot have all the answers myself. When someone calls looking for help, I can't always be that person. I can't always have the answers. And it was also the greedy part of me that was like, I have to have all the freaking answers. Um, so, but it kind of made me think about during these times of high stress of isolation mm -hmm. in the political environment that we're, that we've been living in, it's not like my story 
Um, it's not, you know, this long story of being in and out of addiction. Um, it's not being in and out of uh, abuse and trauma um, that can take somebody from outside of their uh, Enneagram uh, back into the inner space of wisdom or love versus anger um, mm. or goodness versus anger. I'm sorry. Uh, it it can be like that in these times. Um, it can be feeling like a really good person. Um, and it just, and you're immediately angry on Facebook when you see that somebody isn't, um, you can be somebody that is reading and feels wise and is becoming, uh, the new term more woke. Um, and that can and you see something on Facebook and you get greed that, uh, or you get upset that somebody does not have the wisdom that you have because you just read the thing. Um, we're living in a very difficult time where it's not a gradual exiting of your Enneagram. Mm -hmm. um, it's a daily focus. And this is something that we need to be constantly uh, looking at. Uh, so luckily, people like you Claire that can remind us weekly uh, of exactly this um, and this is something that I need to focus on more because just the few minutes I've been looking at it uh, so much comes wrong back to me and the final thing I'll say in regards to addiction um, and, and addiction and kindness is I know this is and this is true for most of the country but it's fairly new to New Mexico uh, where New Mexico created a new certification for individuals it's called cpsw's certified peer support workers because mm. the state of new mexico realized okay we have so little uh help for people that are in recovery or that are struggling with mental health and we have such a surplus of individuals that have been through addiction um that have been through what i went through uh, and probably, you know, might not have the means or funds to be able to go off and become social workers. So they created the certification that costs 50 bucks uh, to become certified in. It's like a, a month-long training, um, and then you take a test. And now these individuals, many of whom have, had spent, you know, 20 years in prison, have felonies, so they could never become certified in anything. Um, all of a sudden have the certification uh, because we had such a surplus of these people that just wanted to pass on the kindness that they received wow. uh, and did not understand it was a kindness until years or months after that intervention of what forced them to uh, exit their addiction. Uh, so we, we have thousands of, of these CPSWs in New Mexico and it's a program that's starting all over the country Oh my so gosh. Yeah. So we'll put that link yeah. here as well, because if we have certified peers, support workers, support workers, um, all over our neighborhoods, yeah. then we'll be able to get through moments like this that are, you know, really desperately in need of the kindness of a good neighbor. Um, that, you know, the kindness of a, a, a good Samaritan that would, uh, that will stop and, um, 
And, you know, it is one of the reasons we think that the Enneagram is such important work, even, you know, so we, you know, we do this work for professionals like yourself that we hope that can bring it into their professions. But I have to tell you, uh, when we learn how to love and we learn how to work with one another, we learn how to, you know, uh, be in relationship with one another based on someone's essence, then when we can see them, with the kindness of Christ, we might be able to help lead them back to their true self. So Jeremy, I appreciate you so very much. And we could do hours and hours with you, but, um, but so we'll bring you back and, uh, and, and then you, you know, you'll give us everything we need to know uh, about connection in this blog um, that may help folks who have a family member or themselves that needs some help uh, during these days. And, um, and friends, just breathe deep. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing a therapist. Um, and, uh, and we're going to be bringing spiritual directors, therapists, coaches, um, folks that can really help us pay attention to what is most true about us. And what is most true is we are made to reflect God's image. And when we start playing God, Someone can call us back home and say, friend, let's remember who you are and show you loving kindness. So peace be with you. Loving kindness be with you, Jeremy. Thank you for, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me and sucking my wife into the church all those years ago. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining with us today on the Enneagram and Christianity podcast. We would love to connect with you as you wait for Christ to be revealed and offer spiritual practices to stay present to Christ's presence within you this Advent season. You can check out Scott and Claire's Enneagram website by going to scottandclairelorage.org. That's S-C-O-T-T-A-N-D-C-L-A-R-E-L-O-U g-h-r-i-g-e dot org and when you go there you can check out the blog and the vlog and all things Enneagram and of course you can go to ccmonline.org we hope that you'll be able to join us each and every day through the season of Advent as we give thanks for the faithfulness of Christ hope to see you soon